How grateful we are to be able to call you our loving Heavenly Father. Father, we need your help to know ourselves how to be loving. We're here for a class on redemptive discipline. It's because both of these are needed in our church today in a very real way. One without the other is neither. And we pray, the Father, that you will help us as we seek to make it complete in the way you want it to be. So as we talk about some practical applications of the principles that are here, I pray for your wisdom and your understanding. Pray that you'll give me words to speak and for those who are sitting in this class, ears to hear. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, we want to begin our second part of our study. Just a reminder that yesterday we spent some time in the Word of God. It's a good place to be always. Specifically, we spent some time in Revelation, I mean Revelation, Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew chapter 18, we were looking at the counsel that Jesus gave. And we looked at basically the whole chapter. We went all the way through to the end of the section where Jesus speaks about the pieces that he wants to put into place and the, the specific steps in relationship to discipline that he wanted to carry out. And then we also re briefly at the end reminded uh, ourselves of the parable that Jesus taught and on the issue of forgiveness. And today we want to take that foundation of Matthew chapter 18 and apply those principles in as practical a way as we can. Now let me tell you that my, the purpose of this class and uh, my goal in what we are doing in this class is to be as practical as I possibly can be. I'm not only wanting to give you theological tools, and, but I want to give you practical tools, and I also want to give you a chance to practice those tools. This, to me, I believe, is a vital missing link, not the missing link, but a missing link in developing our churches into being strong churches for Jesus in these last days. The material that I handed out to you yesterday, the supplemental material that I gave you yesterday, that's in your notebook, speaks to the value of discipline in churches. One part of it written by Seventh-day Adventist, Dan Cerns, and then some other parts written by non-Adventists, which you would not even hardly expect in Christianity today because it feels like, not necessarily as true, but it feels like um, the Christian world has kind of abandoned any kind of uh, standard or, I don't want to use the word rules, but... And, you know, it's, it's, it kind of feels like anything and everything goes. And that's the feeling that you kind of pick up from Christianity today. But that's not fair to all Christians. Not all Christians are in that particular mode at, the t at this time. And some of them understand, even when they've got wrong theology, in terms of the Sabbath and other things, they do understand that in order for their churches to stay strong, there needs to be some level of standard and direction for their churches. So that's, that's that material. I wanted you to be aware of reminding you of that, doing a little bit of back work, backup work. But now I want to take us into uh, our study for today. And we're going to start with a small group project. Now you remember we started with one yesterday. And we kind of worked in a general way with that. But today, I want you to take the principles that we established and apply those principles to this work. Now, I'm going to go a little bit farther here for a moment. No, I can't do that. I want to go to this slide, and then I'll back up here for a moment. It's in your notes under the section uh, two, applying concept of redemptive discipline in a local church. I just want to review this Matthew 18 process because some of you weren't able to be here yesterday, and that's great. I'm glad you're not great that you weren't able to be here, but great that you're here today. 
And I want to apply those principles uh, here. And if you're not reminded of what those principles are and those steps, then you're going to have a little bit of time, uh, time struggling with that. So Matthew Process makes it clear that there are three basic steps available. Sandy, I don't think you got anything yesterday, right? Okay. This is here and one more. This is from yesterday to add to your collection, okay? So reviewing what we did yesterday, Jesus told us that if our brother offends us, and we're speaking generically here, a brother or sister offends us, one-on-one -on -one visit with a member is what we need to, uh, need to do. One-on-one, -on -one, an individual going there and working together with them privately. If that doesn't work, we move to the second step, and that's two or three leaders who are visiting that offending member. The third step is if that still doesn't work, the offending member is brought before the congregation. But I want to remind you that these steps can be applied in all kinds of discipline processes. We named three yesterday. We named ostrich discipline. We named judgmental discipline and we named redemptive discipline and we said that ostrich discipline is what is prevalent in most of our churches today and you all get the analogy of the ostrich sticking its head in the sands which by the way they don't actually do that <laughs> speaking from africa you know and growing up around ostriches they don't do that but anyway, somehow they got the reputation of sticking their heads in, and that's what the people in our churches are doing most of the time. We just hide away and pretend that it's not going on or that it will somehow solve itself. And if we leave it alone, it's better that way than if we try to deal with it. The second kind of thing we dealt with was the issue of judgmental um, discipline, comparing that with discipline that is redemptive, and we talked about the similarities between them and the differences between them, recognizing that these three steps can be taken in both, but not come out with the same results, that there is a redemptive discipline step, and that is the step that God wants us to be taking. Did everybody get to sign in? Because the sheet got up here, but I'm not sure it got back to everybody. If you were here yesterday, just sign your name. If you were not here yesterday and you're signing in today, please put your name and your address on there so that I know how to contact you. If you're in another one of my classes, put your name and address there anyway because if I'm looking at that sheet, I don't want to have to go look somewhere else to know how to get in contact with you if I wanted to or needed to. So these three can be prevalent in, dis in discipline that is judgmental and it can be present in discipline that is redemptive. But it's all in how we apply that. And our goal is redemption so that the sin can be contained. We are also concerned that the Matthew 18 process be followed. And if any of the steps in the process, the sin problem is stopped, redemption can be accomplished when you can stop it and you contain the problem. We're going to come back to that in just a few moments. But take your notes right now and do this if you would. I want to spend a few moments talking about this in a very practical type setting. And I'm going to ask you to break into groups a little bit and you all you got to do is just turn your chairs and I'd like four groups if you would be willing to do this. Now not everybody likes small groups and I get that but Ellen White says that small groups were actually a training tool that she saw as a valuable thing and so I'm going to take advantage of that opportunity here. We've got to do something a little bit different. And I want you to read through this. Now, don't fall into the trap, because some of you, I mean, the ones who were here yesterday, you say, this is the same thing we did yesterday. No, it's not. Okay? So please read through this. I'm going to get in your groups, and then I'm going to read through it, and then I want you to talk about it. So do that right now, if you would. What's that? Said you want to join. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll help all of us here for a moment. Okay, we're going to spend about uh, five to ten minutes doing this. I want you to have enough time to discuss it, but I don't want you to develop a whole theology and write books on this, so 
We'll limit it to about five to ten minutes. Here's a scenario you can follow along as you read. I'm standing up here with the camera and reading it so the camera knows what we're doing. That's for the people who will watch it afterward, you understand. All right. This is a hypothetical situation. Any similarity to reality is totally coincidental. Disclaimer. The scenario is that you have a man in your church, Mr. B, who's gifted with enthusiastic leadership talent. So one of your elders and the general Sabbath school superintendent. His wife is not a member of the church, but does attend fairly often. You receive a phone call from Mrs. B who tells you with reluctance that she has suspected her husband of being interested in another woman. She tells you that through a private investigator, she has evidence that he has been having an intimate affair with a woman at the local spa. Mrs. B shows no sign of vengeance, but states that she will appreciate whatever you can do to save their marriage and protect, protect the good name of the church, which she says she has come to respect because she attends from time to time and she appreciates the church. You arrange a visit with Mr. B alone with you and one of the other elders. Scenario has changed. Upon arrival at the home, Mr. B appears strangely withdrawn. After prayer, you discuss with him the situation you have been informed about and ask him what you can do to help if it is true. Almost immediately, he begins to lash out at his wife and you for bringing someone else from the church. He defends his conduct and tells you that you don't know his wife. He jumps the gun and boldly states that he will not voluntarily resign because he does not believe it is all that bad. So what has taken place is the scenario that we talked about yesterday has taken place with a private visit, but the situation has not stopped, and so you're coming back the second time with someone else, and this is what develops in the scenario. Take a few moments and talk about it, and decide how you would apply Matthew 13, 18 here and do so in a redemptive, loving way. Think of what you would do in that situation. Now, somebody kind of be the spokesperson. There's always somebody. Because I'm going to ask you to tell me basic steps that you decided to do based upon Matthew 18. Okay? Okay, you've got five minutes to try to narrow down here. Take it where you're at and figure out what your steps are so that you can speak to us here in a moment. All right, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to wrap it up. All right, staying in your groups right now, and I realize how artificial this is. There's a lot of stuff you don't know about this, Mr. B. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff you're making up about Mr. B. And it may not be all true, but it may be. And so I just want to talk to you a little bit about um, kind of what you think here. So let's, uh, the, the discussions were getting rather interesting, actually. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to start back over here with this group. Tell, tell us, what steps did you want to take with Mr. B? Who's our spokesman? Okay, person. Uh, well, this is how you want to Good. Good. Great. Good. Thank you. Um, our, our, what we talked about was basically that just because we're at the second step doesn't mean we can do the second step more than one time. And my thought is just, we don't know what's going on. Maybe it's just a bad day. Maybe we just need to step back and say, look, Let's take a break. Let's come back to this in a couple days and talk about and study and go over why this is 
Ten. All right. I love the thinking here, folks. This is great. I mean, if I had designed this on purpose, what you're saying, it would I couldn't have done better at it. <laughs> so I really like what you're doing because you, I, I, I can see that you're thinking through this process and when you're identifying, trying to identify what your goal is and what you're trying to do now is figure out a way to get to that goal. And you want to be honest and fair to the church manual, to the biblical principles, but you're also trying to figure out how do you help this person. And you don't know a lot of dynamics, but I'm going to tell you what, there are times when you know that person and you don't know a lot of dynamics. You don't know what's really going on there, and some of you have spoken even to that along the way as well. All right, I'll go over here. I love this. This is great. This is I'm in, I'm having fun now. Are you ready to go home? <laughs> um. All right. If this is working right, we're back where we're supposed to be. All right. Okay. Great. Thank you. This is. This is helping to develop the flow that we need to have here. And I want to take us on uh, now to talking about some of the tools for managing redemptive discipline in the local church. And something that most churches have not thought about, I had not thought about until Elder Gallimore years ago mentioned it to, uh, to many of us as pastors. I can't remember the context exactly, but how excited I was to get that perspective because of what it... Uh, what information it gave me in the direction that uh, that it gave me. So I'm going to take you through some of this today and try to give you some of those principles. But I want to start by pointing you to the church manual. I don't have a lot of time to spend in the church manual because if I go there, I'm going to get bogged down. But I've given you a copy of that. And does somebody have one out there, some of those extras that were floating around here? that There was a stack of them, I think, somewhere. I don't know where they might be. Yeah, there we go. Thank you. Great. This is what I need right here. So if you take a look at this, I just want to share a, a couple of pieces that are in here with you. There's some good counsel here. I, one of the things I appreciate about the church manual, a lot of people think of it as like a dictionary. And, you know, who wants to read a dictionary? Yeah, there are people that like to read dictionaries, and they are fascinating in terms of seeing what words mean and all of that. But most of us get pretty bored reading a dictionary. But the manual's not really a dictionary. The manual is a practical guide that is filled with biblical and spirit of prophecy counsel in dealing with a multitude of different kinds of scenarios uh, in relationship to the things that we deal with in a local church. And I'm not talking about discipline. I'm just talking about organizationally. But their section on discipline is a very helpful one. This is from the latest edition of the uh, church manual on pages 56 through 68. We don't have time to go through all of it, but the first section is some counsel from the Bible and Spirit of Prophecy on dealing with erring members. You'll notice Matthew 18 is quoted there, and uh, some counsel also from volume 7. She talks, they also talk here about God's plan and working through this and uh, the direction that is given here. And again, good information. I'm not trying to go through the details. There's an area that I want to get to here in just a moment, but I want to hit the highlights. It does remind us on the next page of the authority of the church and the role and responsibility that the church has. Church members, especially uh, American church members, and I say that respectfully, but in some parts of the world, People already have a natural built-in respect for the authority of the church, almost to a fault. In the United States, we've gone almost to a fault the other direction. We tend to be very independent in the United States, and there are times when church members, they just say, well, I don't care what the church does, I'm going to... And that's the attitude towards that. And there is a good balance in there that God wants for us in relationship to that. In the section on church, uh, church's responsibility, there's a quotation from volume three of the testimonies that says, God holds his people as a body responsible for the sins existing in individuals among them. 
If the leaders of the church neglect to diligently search out the sins which bring the displeasure of God upon the body, they become responsible for these sins. Our churches are not taking this issue seriously. I go to churches and even share this information, and some of the leaders in the church are so scared about hurting somebody's feelings or taking a stand or actually believing it's wrong that they will ignore this counsel and allow things to continue. I, I'm, I gotta tell you honestly, I don't understand that. And I, but I, I, it's what? Yeah, it's, it is. And it's, and it's part of the challenge that we face here. And I'm being, trying to be respectful because I know what it's like to actually have to encounter these things and to have to deal with them. And it's, it's, it's difficult. I understand that. But I also believe it is unhealthy and dangerous for the church. We talked about that a little bit more. We also are need to be reminded that in the next section that the unconsecrated resist discipline. We need to be reminded that the unconsecrated, I think that's in there. It must be a real important paragraph, but it actually says it twice. I'm trying to remember if I did that or if they did that. Anyway, um, we need to safeguard the unity of the church, which is what this is all about. It talks about the reconciliation of differences on the next section, and sometimes... I don't think that some of these differences are handled in the ways that some of our churches ought to. Some conflicts that happen in the church should result in church discipline. We allow the conflict to go on and nobody wants to deal with it and solve the problem. And sometimes that problem is that there are certain people that are causing strife in the church. And we will discipline somebody for robbing banks or having an affair, but we won't discipline people for the fact that they are disrupting the unity of the church. Am I preaching? Yeah, maybe a little bit. The next section deals with settlement of uh, grievances among members. Same concept there, and I think I did it again. But it says it differently, doesn't it? I am have to go back and look at that. I'm sorry. I copied this out as a, off of online, and I'm just trying to understand why it's duplicated there. Reasons for discipline are listed on the next section, and there are a lot of reasons that are outlined there. They, I'll call this the legal portion of this, uh, of this uh, portion of the manual on discipline. And it lists some of the things there, like denial of the faith in the principles, uh, fundamentals of the gospel and the fundamental beliefs of the church, or doctrine, teaching doctrines contrary to the same. Heresy would be a simple word for that and for turning their back on the teachings of the church. Then there are other things, including the violation of the law of God and the violation of the Sabbath and other commandments as well, and then a number of other things that are listed there. Then comes the process of discipline. This is the part that I want to just give you a little bit of a highlight before we move on here. The, out, the church manual outlines two kinds of discipline. The one is a vote of censure and the other is a vote to remove from membership. Former church manuals have called this a vote to disfellowship. We don't use that term anymore. Because you came to this class, you won't use that term anymore in your church either. It's not a bad term, it's, it's just that it, something about disfellowshipping, it just sounds harsh. I suppose removing somebody from membership is not easy either, is it? <laughs> but that's the way they say it, and that's the way we've come to it. The discipline measure, uh, discipline by censure, is very similar to some of the things that we've been talking about here, and that's what's up on the screen. And it is, involves a step process before actually removing a person from membership and does not necessarily have to result in the removing of a person from membership. A censure period might be from one, one month to a year. A year is, uh, is the longest that uh, is recommended, but a month is about the time you need to be able to process something that's ongoing. And uh, the censure takes a person out of any offices they may be in at that particular time, any leadership roles, whatever, and they're still members of the church, but they recognize that they are being held accountable for their actions. What can happen after that is it can automatically drop and they get their membership back in full standing, and that assumes that they, what needed to be corrected was corrected. But if that is not corrected, then another action has to, be to act, has to take place. And by the way, both of these take place by going to the church board first and then going to the church and business session. 
And so you'd start by taking the name of that individual to the church board and recommend a vote of censure to the church and business session. Then that recommendation is taken to the church and business session and that is discussed there. And then if they are voted to, if it is voted to censure or in the case of removing from membership, that takes place at that particular point. I'm being brief here. We'll deal with more details on it later. Question? You said it automatically drops. Don't you have to take it back to the to the and it? That's an interesting question, and it appears that technically no, it automatically drops unless you do something about it. Okay. I had an incident because that's what I thought, and I think uh, I'm trying to remember where it is here. Um, let's see. It may have been updated too. Yeah, and and I and I do think. If their conduct is satisfactory, they may be then considered in regular standing without further action and shall be notified that the censure has ended. So it doesn't have to go back to the business session. It doesn't have to go back to the church board. The board may simply want to say, all right, we've done it. Everything's great. Let's send, them, send the individual to notice that it's, it's done. That's, that doesn't take action. It just simply takes that. Okay? Good question. Thank you. I appreciate it. Discipline by removal of membership, we talked about that, and there's some other details. I wanted to mention those to you as we go on here so you have that context in what I'm about to tell you. In the part of applying the part two now, applying the concept of redemptive discipline in the local church, I reminded you already of the Matthew 18 process, we went through that. I reminded you that the goal is redemption, and that's the direction we're trying to go. And now I want to stress with you the fact that the church, the, the steps in terms of following this action prior to the church manual's censorship action could actually involve another step that's not mentioned in the church manual. And you're saying, whoa, where are you going with this? All right, stay with me. And uh, I, I feel on solid ground here because I didn't come up with this. Elder Gallimore did. And I'm really thankful that he did. And, it's, and when you see the process here, you'll understand that it's in keeping with the spirit of the church manual and the direction. So let's take it in detail right now and look at it because I want you to understand applying this principle in this manner. First of all, point number three up on the screen here and in your notes says that the church can ensure the containment of the problem or sin by more fully utilizing the board of elders. How? Let me give you a little bit of an example here. We've got some, got some redundancy in there on my screen, so I'm going to have to clean that up. That's why when your group in the back was asking me the question about, do you take this as the next step to take it to the church manual, I mean the church board, my answer was, yes, according to the church manual, but I would like to suggest to you today, and if Elder Gallimore was standing here, he would make the same suggestion to you, that said it is in keeping with the same spirit, but for the sake of containment, to contain it as long as you can in order to keep it private and keep it from moving beyond and into the church. Generally, the elders, being the spiritual leaders of the church, are the most trusted ones to be able to keep it contained and to keep it private and confidential. And if you can keep it within that circle, a circle that is praying for the individual, a circle that is pleading with God for that individual, a circle that is going and pleading with that individual that they might be able to see how this could take place and how, uh, how a, a change in their life could uh, be affected by recognizing that this is sin and that there's a problem that can be dealt with. I really appreciated the way your groups were processing this because you were all trying to find ways to accomplish that goal. You were trying to find ways to get the man's attention, to help him to realize this is a problem, to help him to realize that, that he can get help and get counseling, that there are all kinds of things that can be done here. So let's try to put this into a practical thing with Mr. B. Please. Mm -hmm. If you haven't realized that people only to give up their job and their whole life's going to change, ooh, that puts a whole new perspective on the situation. 
Y'all lose friends at church? I know of situations, and I'll try to kind of mix up some situations a little bit to put that in perspective. You have your own, and you probably know it, but I'll just use it by way of illustration. A man who runs off with a younger woman leaves his wife of 30 years. She's got two or three kids. He's now taking on a whole lifestyle that he already left behind for what he thinks for some reason is better. Taking on all those bills and all those significant issues and raising children and all of that when he's long since past that time. To say nothing of the lady that's involved in that process, taking on an older man who's going to die in a little while. Maybe that's your goal. I don't know. Um, you know, all those. I'm just saying, you know, we just haven't thought those processes through as people when we get into them. And our heads don't work and our hearts seem to get confused. And that's what you're suggesting is that we help a person kind of work through this process. So if you take the situation with Mr. B and you're coming to him, there's nothing that says that you have to move instantly to begin to move to censure. The biggest danger, there's two pitfalls in relationship to this kind of a scenario with Mr. B. The one is, is, is coming in as a heavy-handed hammer to try to solve this problem and say, you know what, you've messed up, I've been here a second time, you're here telling us you don't like us anymore, I'm taking this to the church board, and we're going to, we're going to have you censured. That's the judgmental approach, isn't it? That's really what's going on. But the redemptive process is saying, wait a minute, what really is going on here? Is there something we're missing? Do we need to be praying more here? What, what is going on? Some of you brought up is there, is there something going on with a wife we don't know about? I mean, she's coming across and coming out of this picture clean. You know, she's the, the saint in the picture. She's not an Adventist, but she treats the church nicely and all that. But, you know, maybe she's not so nice at home. And, and is that an excuse for him to do that? No, but what are the complicating factors in here? And being able to listen through all of that and sort that all out. So here is a little bit of a process that you can work out with this. The first one is that the pastor or the elder of, uh, visits the offending member. And uh, that is the step one, the Matthew 18 process, the individual, the private visit, and working with us. And by the way, Joe and I were talking about afterwards, because we had in, in our class yesterday, we were talking about should we go first privately and then do somebody else. There are unusual times, and that's what he was speaking to. And because I know Joe, Joe and I have had some situations where we've had to deal with that are unusual, and there are times when you have to be somewhat careful what you do. There are people that will threaten you with a lawsuit just while walking through, but you will generally know that when, before you even go over there. In that case, it doesn't hurt to have somebody else with you and, and you're still following the principle of Matthew 18, but understand that that particular individual has potential problems in their life, and they may not be balanced, and you need to address it that way. And that's just a scenario. But assuming you're dealing with a, a church member similar to this, and that you're not expecting them, or have reason to expect something truly unusual like that, that principle applies. So the pastor maybe gets the call, or the elder, you an elder, get a call, and you go and you visit that individual. But that doesn't work out. It does initially because Mr. B says, I, I thank you for coming. I really wanted to talk about this. Remember our scenario yesterday? And, and he, we, he really is responding to this. And so you're praying that indeed he's going to follow through with his commitment to break it off and to move on with his life. And you even been talked about, man, this is, this is not good. You need to get on with your life and you need to get counseling. As a matter of fact, you need to step out of being a leader in your church for a period of time. We won't talk about that. People have a reason to step out for personal reasons and, and whatever. You can just step out. We just won't talk about it and we won't say anything to anybody that's what that scenario was before but now we come to this scenario and mrs b calls and she says no it's not working out he didn't do anything he said he would he's refused to go to counseling and he's still seeing her so that's why you come the second time with a pastor the pastor the elder or one or two other individuals again the goal here is redemption 
The purpose is a series of appeals, as we talked about yesterday. This is the next in a series of appeals of trying to reach that individual and work with them. There may have been one or two or three visits by that uh, pastor or the individual trying to work it out, and it doesn't seem to be working here. So you come and you have this visit here, as we've just had the scenario, and the problem still is there. He is more cantankerous now. He's more rebellious. He's got an attitude toward this. And what is your next step? What are you still trying to do? Well, the church manual does imply that your next step is going to the church board. But when you go to the church board, you're going to a much larger body and a less contained body, correct? And not always, you want everyone to be on the church board being the spiritual leaders. They want to be, they are spiritual leaders whether they accept it or not or behave like it or not. But you're still looking at the elders as being the leaders here. And look, let's face it, this man is an elder. He's the Sabbath school superintendent. He has influence in your church. This is going to have ramifications and implications for your church. You, you are dealing with really sensitive ground upon which you're working. It could divide your church. And listen, let me tell you, there's nothing like a squabble over a situation like this when church members start to take sides. So we're not only dealing with the salvation of this individual, the elder, and his redemption, but we're also dealing with what are the implications of taking this to the church at large, and can we somehow keep this contained and still begin to move? It may be that in this particular moment you see no opportunity to move forward in visiting with him, or you see some light of possibility. There is something that you can do, and that is in your church. If your board of elders are already established in your church as being able to be a place where this can be discussed and worked with in a more contained way, the church elders could put this individual under a period of grace of their own. That is not advertised. It could be still the person stepping out of the, uh, of the office or whatever, but the goal is still now to get that individual's attention and say, now I want, we want you to understand we're really serious about this. And uh, you say that you know, you're not going to resign or whatever. Hey, we're not, that's not the issue. Some of you talked about it. We're, you know, we're trying to help you here. We're not, we're not trying to hurt you and trying to talk that all through. But we're going to go back to the elders and we're going to have a discussion about this. Yes, you're an elder, but you're not welcome at that meeting. Okay, and, you're, and I'm, I'm being blunt here at this one. I don't say it a different way, but that's not a meeting for you to attend. But we're going to talk about it and we're going to be praying for you. So the board of elders meet and they talk about it. You're dealing with generally in most churches in Michigan, you're dealing with elders from two to four or five in number, something like that. And you're keeping this situation contained, but you have a little bit more authority, and I'll tell you how you get that authority in a moment, but you've got a little bit more authority to deal with this issue and to be able to address this problem and still continue to try to get his attention. Step three is that if the member continues to resist, the issue is presented to the board of elders rather than the church board. This group represents the spiritual leadership of the church. It is a smaller group. And since the purpose of the period of grace is to stop the problem and sin from continuing, the elders could be empowered to establish this period of grace with that purpose in mind. Now let's take a few moments and talk about how you might be able to accomplish that. How do we go about doing that? So your notes have outlined this a little bit, and if you'll follow along with me, and then we'll also be able to discuss it. I pointed out by showing you in the church manual what the church manual says. You have a copy of that in front of you, and that material is, uh, is the authority of the church working on this. And though the church manual does not make provision for the board of elders utilizing a period of grace, what can happen in the local church, the local church can do this and establish it because it's in keeping with the spirit of what you're trying to do. You're seeking to redeem. Elder Gallimore found by experience that doing this kind of a process just 
gives you one more step that's still moving in the same direction, but still gives you one more opportunity to redeem and utilizes people that are might be better equipped to handle that process of seeking to bring that person back to the state of spiritual state where they need to be and getting their attention. So here's how you could establish it. Number one, you could discuss this process at a church board meeting. Do not wait till you've got a Mr. B situation to discuss this with the church board. All right? The best time to do preparing for your taxes is not April 15, but way before April 15, like April 16. Looking forward to next year. All right? The best time to prepare for something like this is to do the work with your board when you're not under the stress of dealing with an issue. Take it to your church board and outline this process and say, how do you feel about this? If the church board somehow feels uncomfortable, maybe they don't trust the pastor in doing this or they don't happen to like the elders, they may not want to do that. But most boards will respond with this saying, hey, we, we, we know what you're trying to accomplish here. We're all for showing grace and, re and seeking to redeem people. So let's go with this. So you talk about it at the church board. You voted at the church board as a recommendation to the church and business session. With me? The next step is what? Business meeting. So you take it to the church in a business session. You have this recommendation discussed there. And if the church and business session votes to do this, then it establishes the authority of the church board of elders as the individuals who can establish this period of grace there without having to bring up a report to the church board in an effort and an endeavor to be able to work with them. Now, I put a little suggestion in here that uh, I didn't get from Elder Gallimore, but it's just one for me, and, uh, and I, I think it makes some sense, but there might be situations that you would want to do it a different way. The church manual for a vote of censure gives you from one month to a year. I'm suggesting that the Board of Elders, that their period of grace is a shorter period. Because you don't want to continue, you don't want to continue with the situation and just keep it going for years and years and years. You're trying to contain this. If it's a problem, it's a problem, and it's a problem now. And you don't want to keep it going forever. So you might want to make that period of grace and suggest that period of grace is maybe one to three months that the elders can establish. And then if it's not resolved after that time, then the elders have the responsibility to bring that situation to the church board. Okay. He keeps his responsibilities as elder in... In the period of grace, I would suggest no. Unless for some reason the board of elders had reason to say, this situation is such that it's not going to be helpful for the person to be taken out of their office. But, you know, I'm going to tell you, here's the problem. If you don't take that person out of office and they're an elder in the church, and generally most other areas of responsibility, they are providing a spiritual image before the church. And if they're standing up on Sabbath morning and you know that they're smoking or you know that they're having an affair with somebody and they're getting up there and leading out in the prayer service and all that, that's a mockery to God. All right? And you all know Ellen White's story, the story from Ellen White where she came into a church and she'd had a vision about it and she couldn't, never could say anything about it. And one day she was there and it all of a sudden came together and she was listening to this preacher preach and she got up and said, you have no business being in that pulpit and you've got a wife here and a wife's with somewhere else and kids there as well. Whoa. You know, and because that's a mockery to God, that is why God steps into those kinds of situations. And if it's of that nature, then it would be. I'm trying to think of a scenario where it wouldn't be, but I'm having a little trouble with that right now. I came into an instance where if it's too long of a period, mm -hmm. the, the individual, you, you know, the board keeps it quiet. Mm -hmm. The individual talks to the members. Yeah. And yeah. then the, the members start coming to the board and saying, what's going on? 
Sorry, I can't discuss that with you. The problem, the problem you have at that point, and as you're doing that kind of scenario, is that then the elders have got to quickly get to that individual and say, hey, we're trying to help you here, and you've made this a lot more complicated. We're going to have to take a new direction here. So you pray that that never happens because that really messes everything up. But some people, be, some people will do that. You know it because you're telling about it, and I agree with that. So the process is such where you're working to limit this to one to three months. You're establishing that. If that doesn't work, then you go and you take that on to the church in uh, the church board and to a church and business session um, accordingly as it needs to be. Now, I said here uh, an example of how this has worked in a Michigan Conference church. And so let me give you an example of my own experience. Uh, as a pastor, um, you run into these problems from time to time. And, and one of the challenges is that it's not just the problem you're dealing with. It's the way it tends to affect the church as a whole. And I encountered a situation, and I'm going to be very careful about this, because this had a really positive outcome in the end. And the individuals that were involved in this are leaders in God's church today. And I'm so thankful for it, but I don't ever want that past to get back to those individuals or be any whatever. Okay, So I'm being very careful about it. But there was a situation where there was a young couple when I was uh, pastoring one of the churches that I've pastored over the years. Boy, that made sense, didn't it? Did you catch all that? And this young couple was basically living together. Uh, and in those days, it wasn't even nearly as common as it is now. We're talking, I don't know, 30 years ago or something like that. And yet it was becoming more common and people had those kinds of things. And in this particular case, the couple's excuse was finances. All right. The, um, the girl in the situation uh, was, was a local and the boy was from out of town and was trying to establish, you know, a home there and, and a place to live and a way to be able to to uh, get a job and all those other kinds of things. And, you know, there's no question about it. In that kind of a scenario, it's really tempting to live in the same place and save money uh, so that you can, can, you can deal with that. And, of course, in that kind of a scenario, people say, well, there's nothing going on here and so on and so forth. And you know what? I want to believe people. I had people in that situation, and I've had people since in similar situations, they say, yeah, right. Okay, yeah, there's, I mean, we're talking human beings here, and we're talking, uh, you know, whatever. Well, you know what? It's very possible that there might be nothing going on. But the truth of the matter is the Bible also tells us to avoid the appearance of evil. And that is the appearance of evil for sure. It doesn't look right. It is a dishonor to Jesus. It's a dishonor to the local church. And people that are looking out from outside into the situation who are not members of the church, they know what the church stands for, and they know what the Bible teaches, many Christians do, and they're saying, wait a minute, what's going on here? And it really does do harm to the church. So we had the conversation with the, uh, with the church in relationship to the situation. I think my battery may have died, which makes a whole lot of sense, and that's great because it's dead anyway. We're done with that. So um, we, we're dealing with the situation on the church board, and we're having conversations with it. Now, what didn't happen here at this point, I had not established this process of working this way, but I'm going to use the scenario so that you can see how that process can work. We met together and we were talking about this, especially on the Board of Elders. And it wasn't just on the board that we got to this problem. We were dealing with the Board of Elders, but I believe, if my memory serves a long time ago, I believe that we did eventually get to the church board, but we were still keeping it contained. It was not something that was not known, so it didn't. the containment issue wasn't so much what was needed. 
But what was needed was a continuing process of seeking to get their attention. I had talked to them, elders had talked to them, and, and had worked with that. But it was a continued process where we didn't back down and say, you know, some of the members wanted to say, is it really that bad? Does it really matter? Does it whatever? But others were saying, no, we really need to do deal with this. And I remember that it was particularly an elder and his wife that went and met with this couple and pled with them that they needed to not do this for the sake of the future, of their future relationship with the Lord, et cetera, and their situation with the church. And they suggested to them a solution to the problem. They told them how they could uh, get housing and be able to work that through and to solve that problem. And the couple reluctantly accepted that counsel, but did accept the counsel and went through with that. And you know what? I look back at that situation and I'm so happy that it worked out that way. If we had only visited them once, it took multiple visits. It took different people going and pleading with them and correcting that situation and helping to understand the danger that they were in, even though they didn't seem to recognize the danger they were in. It took multiple times of doing that. But the end result was this couple was saved. They were able to be married in the church. They were able to be leaders in the church. And they are leaders in uh, God's work today. And it's only because the church was faithful in its work. But if the church had not been faithful in its work, I don't know where that couple would have wound up. I don't know what would have happened there. And if that church had not dealt with them redemptively, they might have pushed them farther away from the church rather than bringing them into the fold and closer to it and enabling them and empowering them to be workers for God. That is redemptive discipline and what needs to happen. We did establish in that particular church the redemptive discipline process that I've outlined here. We eventually took it to the church in business session and were able to establish a period of grace and to be able to do it on the elders level to keep it contained. And it, it was a wonderful thing. It was a good thing there. I can't tell you if that church is still doing that. I'm curious right now. I'm going to have to try to find out now that I'm doing it. But I believe in the principles that are established there and uh, the value that is gained by doing that. So I hope what I've shared with you today is valuable. I'm actually going to end our class just a few minutes early. I hope that doesn't offend you. And I'm going to... Don't worry about it if it does. <laughs> and uh, tomorrow what we're going to do is we're going to take some directions uh, here and begin to apply this. Now here's what I really want to do is I want to take this and start to to put it into real situations that you might be struggling with. and But I want to be careful with this because I don't want to be, I, you know, I'm recording this, and so I don't want it to become so live here, and I might turn the recorder off if we get to that point. But I really want this to become practical for you in terms of the way we apply this, and we'll talk about other issues and, and other challenges that come in dealing with this. So that's where we're headed in the next uh, couple days here. So. We've got the foundation now. We want to find the best way to move forward with this and dealing with real life situations and, uh, and how to manage them. We've got the foundation. Now let's be practical with it. So thank you very much. I have time for questions. If any of you have a question, you can do that. It's fine. Anybody have a question at all? Yeah, please. That's an interesting question. Why are you trying to work with a person who's not a member of the church? They're attending. Okay. Well, that, I just wanted to hear that. I figured that was the case. So they're attending church and working on that. Okay. Okay. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Would you bring that to us tomorrow? And I, you won't be here tomorrow. Okay, you won't bring it tomorrow, will you? All right, well, then bring it on Thursday. We'll have time to be able to do that. 
and uh, we'll be dealing with other situations, but what would we do in that kind of scenario? Because here's what I want to do and want to understand about that. When you're, you know, it comes to a situation, and I know our immediate reaction is that an individual in this particular case, we've got no authority over them. That's true in a sense. But you're talking about a person who's been attending this church for years, right? And what are the issues that they're going through? And the real question is not what authority do we have to discipline them or to punish them. The real question is what can we do to redeem them? And that's the question we want. So that's what we want to address with that. But is that the same question? We really don't want to get punishment from any of these. We want to redeem Part of the question that you have in here, and it's the same, it ultimately is the same scenario, is the, how is the person going to respond? But one of the things, the reason that I want to take the time to talk about it is because what are the scenarios that are, that are causing the church to feel like that if they were a member, we would want to discipline them? And I think that it's valuable for us to process here because the way we deal with these kinds of issues affect the church and the unity of the church and the strength of the church. And I can give you some scenarios on the same level that we've had to work with on a, in a very strong way. And a lot of our churches don't, when we start to deal with it that way, some churches have actually reacted to that and said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You know, we're trying to help this person. Yes, maybe, but at what cost? And that's why I want to bring that situation and develop it. Doc, you're absolutely right, but I want to understand the scenarios because I think it would help us all. Please. You know, I just think how that hurts me. This is like not an easy thing in church life, but if these things go on neglected, I mean, number one, there's this moral responsibility before God. Mm -hmm. Also, if we do not discipline a certain member, we are making a statement to the church and the community that what our genuine stand on sin is. Mm -hmm. So we can allow one person really to demoralize the whole church if we don't address this problem. Mm -hmm. See, so the implications here are very big. Absolutely. Very big. And the responsibility is very, very real. And you know, if you look at the early church, I mean, Paul, of course, is one of the Anyway, You know, Paul addressed Peter right in public. He said, you know, you're wrong. You're wrong. You had to straighten them out. And just imagine the early church having a prophet walking into a sermon and telling the man, you're not fit to be out there. Mm -hmm. Just imagine the environment. And that wasn't an isolated case. That's right. I mean, she did that in a number of cases. And if, if we would surrender to the Spirit of God now, how much more healthy our churches would be? If God could look down at that church and say, you know what? Here's a church that really loves Christ. They love my law. And I can entrust them with more converts coming in. That's but if we allow our churches to be corrupted, they come to go look down from the store and they say, you know what, I can't really bring people to that church because they're not really welcoming to it. That's exactly right. And that's that's the, that's the challenge. Pardon me? Now, the way it speaks about that, she makes a comment about the fact that many churches cannot bring new members into the church. Exactly right. The church is not the right. itself. It's not a healthy way Absolutely, which is why I'm taking the time and I'm taking five days to talk about this process because the way we do this and the, the understanding of these issues is critical to the church. One of the things we're going to talk about in the next three days is also how do you manage conflict in your church? What tools do you have? And it's not just discipline. Uh, those are not the only tools you have in being able to manage it. There are other tools that help to work through these issues of conflict. This situation with Mr. B is a situation of conflict because when you go and you meet with him and he's got this attitude, you're now in conflict. So what tools do you have to know how to deal with conflict? You know, my natural reaction to conflict is, well, if you're going to be nasty that way, you can just, you know, have your life and your wife and your, and your second wife or whatever. I mean, you know, that's not a Christian attitude. I'm telling you about, you know, what can happen when Christ is not working in my life and, and that's why I have to be dependent on Christ. And we have to keep that in mind and how do we work with that? But some conflicts are much broader than two individuals and how do we deal with that 
and work with that. So we're going to talk about it too. Exactly right. Well, folks, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. We are out of time now, so let's have a closing prayer together and ask the Lord to bless us the rest of this day. Father, thank you for the discussion that we've had today, and thank you for the principles of redemptive discipline. We want to save individuals. We also want to protect your church. We also want to be faithful to you so that you can trust us with more. As we go our way today, bless us and keep us in Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.